In John chapter 13, we read the following. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by that everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, the world isn't impressed with church people who behave just like they do. The world is turned off by Christians who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Love is unselfishness. The opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. We read in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not seek its own and that love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. It seems that everything is tolerated in today's society. Tolerance of sin is not love. Sin is a deadly serpent. Would we tolerate the presence of a venomous snake in our homes. Because that's what sin is. It's a poisonous, deadly snake that destroys lives and souls. And it's not okay. Because we are to love the people that sin is destroying. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Sin isn't a neutral thing, it's a deadly thing. That's why we oppose it. We don't want people to be destroyed by it. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice to put away sin. Love is not a tolerance of sin. Love is helping people break free from it. The Apostle John wrote, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The test of our love usually comes with the people closest to us, the people we interact with on a daily basis. Loving them as we love ourselves is the evidence of the kingdom of God in us. Love can take many forms. For example, during World War I, Two soldiers developed a deep bond of friendship, one for another, while fighting from the trenches. Month after month, they lived together in the mud and misery of trench warfare, and from time to time, the troops would rise up out of the trenches and go out against the enemy. Then they would fall back into the trenches and bury their dead. That process went on over and over again. And as it did, 
the bond between the two soldiers grew deeper and deeper. The two soldiers, Jim and Bill, became particularly close to one another and on one of those fruitless charges out of the trenches, Jim fell mortally wounded on the battlefield. Bill made it safely back to the trenches. During the night, Jim lay out in the open, wounded, scared and alone. Of course, the shelling from both sides continued and it was extremely dangerous to leave the trenches, but Bill wanted to go out and help find his friend. His commanding officer refused to let him go. And when the officer wasn't looking, Bill came up out of the trenches and miraculously made his way to Jim. Sometime later, Bill managed to pull Jim back into the trenches, but it was too late. When he got there, Jim was dead. Seeing the dead body, the commanding officer said to Bill, Now was that worth it? He's dead anyway. Bill's response was, Yes, sir, it was worth it. My friend's last words made it more than worth it. He looked up at me in his dying breath and said, I knew you'd come. So what is love? Love is seeing and seeking the well-being of another. It's not just a warm feeling in the heart. It's getting up out of the relative comfort and safety of the trenches and going after those in need. It's denying yourself so that life is a little better for someone near you. A relative of ours lives an alternative lifestyle. He regularly attends a gathering of like-minded people. It's a gathering that tells him that all is fine. He prides himself on accepting people's lifestyles and being non-judgmental. It's where love is pretty much equated with tolerance. It's a gathering where people are made as comfortable as possible in their sin. And because we love him, we don't want him to be comfortable in his sin. We want him to be freed from sin's destructive power. Therefore, if God's only son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. God's salvation is not an abstract doctrine. It doesn't leave us in the swamp up to our necks in sin. And when people say to us that what is happening to our relative is okay, he'll grow out of it, we understand, we say, no, it's not okay. God's grace is something much more powerful than that. In Matthew 1.21, an angel told Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now don't misread what that is saying because it confirms the exact nature of our Lord's mission. He will save his people from 
their sins. Not in their sins, not just from the penalty of their sins, but the salvation Jesus brings is to deliver us from our sins. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Grace doesn't leave us under the dominance of sin. It liberates us and empowers us. Jesus laid down his life for all of us, including our relative, whom we long to see totally right with God. But you know, regardless of where he's at right now, there's nothing in the world that would ever stop us loving him. Because he, like each of us, was created by God. And each of us here this morning, we are God's gift to each other. Without each of you, I could not make it alone. Oh, I know I have God to sustain me. But we need each other if we are to grow as mature Christians. So, as a gift from God... For that is what each of you are to me, including my relative. It would be nothing short of an insult to throw a gift back into the face of the giver. Sometimes we get a little taste of God's love through a wayward friend or relative. And sometimes we learn how strong, unwavering and unquenchable our father's love is. We can't help but pray for someone, anyone, indeed everyone we love with a passionate intensity. One thing the Lord has taught us is that love turns duty into a lifestyle. Paul put it like this, the love of Christ constrains us. Constrained, strange word. It means to compel, to force, to take a particular course of action. As long as Christianity is just a list of duties, then we haven't touched the heart of the matter. The love of Christ for us compels us to love others in return. And how much love do we give? We love till it hurts. And then, We love a bit more, because that's exactly what Christ did for us. He loved us right up to and on the cross when he died for us all. Then our Lord took his love to an an even greater, higher level when he said to the thief alongside him on the cross, Today you will be in paradise with me. Now that's love. Love right up to our dear Lord's last breath. My friends, there is no time limit to love being expressed to another person. And love is given unconditionally, not just to a few we select, but everyone. Just consider what took place in the upper room the night before Jesus was arrested. Picture Jesus with his disciples. He looks at Judas 
And he knew that betrayal was in his heart and mind. He looked at Peter and knew that in his darkest hour, Peter would deny knowing Jesus, as would the others. Yet our Lord's attention is on their well-being. John writes, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what did Jesus do? He wrapped a towel round his waist and began to wash the feet of the disciples. Yes, here he is teaching them the importance of humility and servanthood at a time when he should, humanly speaking, have been more concerned about his own welfare, his own preservation. But no, here is Jesus showing those he loves that he truly cares for them. He's expressing his utter love for them. Yes, they will all fail him, but that doesn't quench his love towards them. Peter and Judas will both fail him, but Jesus prays for them both and washes their feet along with the other disciples. Love compelled him to stoop down and wash feet. Yes, we are to do likewise, even those who fail us and even those who will mistreat us. I'm saddened to say that there is far more talk among Christians about love in the body of Christ than there is a true demonstration of it. Many people choose a church so that they can enjoy fellowship with others who uplift them. They avoid situations where they will be with people who drain them and place demands on their strength. Yes, we need to be with some people who encourage and strengthen us. But our ministry for Christ also means giving ourselves to those who need us. If I'm just picking and choosing what feels good to me, in truth, I'm probably not doing very much for my Lord. I don't think that Mother Teresa went to the lepers in Calcutta for the food and fellowship. And I don't think that Paul endured stonings and shipwreck in order to spread the gospel just because it seemed like a good idea at the time. People think they're doing God a big favour by going to church and enjoying some fellowship with friends. Guess what? Even sinners do the same with their friends. It's all about what I want and what feels good to me. And it's not what God requires. Jesus said in John 13... If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus endured, was voluntary. He could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him, had he chosen. His defences were limitless. Yet he endured ridicule, beatings, And he endured them all the way to the cross because love compelled him to do it. He didn't do it because it was his duty. The love welling up in his heart compelled him to do it. 
the first thing that Jesus said as he hung on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, his first priority was to gain mercy for the very people who had led him to the cross. All those who abused him after his tormentors had finished with him. Instead of resenting Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas and the soldiers who beat him and the crowd that demanded his crucifixion, Jesus asked for their salvation. That's not a sign of hate. That's love. Only the height of love could sustain our Lord in his last hours. God's love is to be expressed through us as well. Seeing the love of God operating in Christ helps us receive his instruction for our own lives. His kingdom is a kingdom of love and peace. His kingdom is not of this world. If we are still thinking like the ungodly world around us, we are not operating in his kingdom. We see the nature of Christ's kingdom as he washes his betrayer's feet. We see the kingdom in operation as he prays for the the forgiveness of his murderers. James and John wanted to call down fire on those who opposed them. Jesus said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. We must understand and we must be continually reminded of the way God's kingdom functions. Otherwise we will be thinking we're doing God a service, when in reality we're operating in contradiction to who he is. Paul did exactly that before his conversion. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus set out the nature of his kingdom. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The entire gospel can be summed up in one verse. John 3.16 You see, God's love isn't static or self-centered. It reaches out and draws in. In Jesus, God set the pattern of true love. It's the basis of all love relationships. When you love someone dearly, you are willing to give freely to the point of self-sacrifice. God paid dearly with the life of his son, the highest price he could possibly pay. When we share the gospel with others... Our love must be like Jesus, willingly giving up our own comfort and security so that others might join us in receiving God's greatest gift, his love 
through Jesus, his Son, and our Lord and Saviour. Amen.